Hi everyone and welcome back to another BSSH Sport in History podcast. My name is Connor Heffernan and I'm really excited to be joined today by Associate University Professor Linda Perkins. Linda is Associate University Professor and Director of Applied Gender Studies at Claremont Graduate University and today we're going to be chatting about her latest um, chapter on African-American women, femininity and their history in, in physical education, say that 10 times, and sport in American higher education. So this is a chapter contribution to a book called Femininity and the History of Women's Education. And it came on my radar a few weeks ago. I had a read. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and thankfully, Linda has agreed to join us uh, on the BSSH podcast. So I'll start maybe by introducing Linda, asking you to kind of give a brief bio of your normal research interests and then what led you down into this path of physical education and sport. Yes, thank you for inviting me and I'm excited to be able to have a conversation about this piece of my work. Um, I'm a historian of higher education with specifically history of women's higher education and black women's higher education. And this chapter is a part of a much larger research project that I'm working on completing right at this moment on the history of black women's higher education. It's a very ambitious project, it's a hundred years looking at the history of black women prior uh, to the Civil War. And I realize this is an international audience. So I have to keep in mind that these dates and concepts may not mean a month. So I'm looking at, you know, the 1820s and 30s all the way up until 1960s when in the United States, the modern civil rights movement. And so I'm looking at the experiences and challenges that black women had attempting to get higher education. So this chapter is a part of a piece where I, uh, on a chapter is called Black Women in the Heartland in the United States. That's sort of the middle America. And during this period um, that I'm writing about is the 20s and 30s. Um, and it's the rise uh, in physical education and the rise of women in sports actually physical education um, emerged as a, as a field um, in the teens, the late men and late teens in the United States after World War I. Uh, um, and so by the, there was this consciousness that the men who enrolled in, uh, I mean, enlisted in the military, so many of them were not physically fit. So the United States government decided to establish physical education in schools. And so you see the rise in physical education as a major, as an actual field. And so this is where women came in. Um, and so I originally looking at the black women who were in predominantly white schools in the Midwest, Kansas, Iowa, Illinois, uh, and places like that. Um, but one of the things you had to do if you were a physical education major, in addition, even if you weren't a physical education major, you know, there were team sports, you know, on campus. And so, but if you majored in physical education, you were required to take certain sports and participate in certain sports. I mean, for example, I have two degrees in music. Uh, and as music majors, you have to be in certain ensemble groups, you know, musical groups. But if you barred from being in them because of race, you know, how do you complete the major? You know, and so for a lot of black women in school, there were certain things they couldn't participate in. They can't swim. You know, they couldn't get in the swimming pools with white people 
uh, in many places you could not uh, participate in these various sports. And so I write about that experience. Uh, but before that, I just talk about the whole history of Blacks in the United States coming out of, uh, of slavery and particularly with Black women uh, being compared with white women who were seen as pure and fragile and Black women were seen as the opposite. Um, and so there was this concern about um, the book that this chapter is in is on femininity because femininity became a big issue for women in college. Um, and so originally these women participated in some of these sports. And I think I talk about uh, how over time, because there was this big interest in making sure that women were not competitive. Uh, and there was this concern that certain sports were viewed as masculine, that women should not participate in them. And so that's pretty much, and I, and I look at this, the chapter talks about both race and gender because there were issues of race with black women in the white institutions, but I also talk about black women in black colleges. And so that becomes an issue of the femininity issue and they felt like uh, in the black colleges that they wanted black women to be more reflective of the images of white women, you know, uh, and they felt that they should be soft and feminine and, and not play in these sports where they're running and sweating and these kinds of things that, that are more reflective of men. Yeah, and I think that's a really good kind of overview and jumping off point. So I'm now going to, um, I suppose, ask very, very gentle probing questions um, because I just, there was so much to unpack within the chapter. So I suppose the first thing and the obvious question would be if you could maybe distinguish between, and you've already done it to a certain extent, say the more opening or maybe not uh, welcoming of sports, but the sports that were deemed permissible for black women in say the 20s and 30s and 40s in that post-World War I period where we start to see an uptake in kind of sport and, and physical education. Like what sports were more acceptable, quote unquote, for them to compete in. So we know swimming, they weren't allowed to say share the pools with white women. Or, um, so what, what, what sports, if any, were they able to kind of share with others or even just encourage to compete in? Uh, volleyball, mm -hmm. uh, basketball, uh, track, hockey in certain schools, and baseball originally. Mm. But then that all faded away. Um, over time, because, and the other thing was with black women in the white institutions, even in institutions, and it wasn't monolithic, it really depended on what college you were in and what part of the country you were in, because some of the colleges would not allow black women, women students on their college teams, but then the black women started their own intramural teams with their own sororities and played but then others didn't, you know, and so you do see it's not even uh, in terms of where they were. Uh, and some of the black college women did extremely well. But then over time, um, and we're talking about the 1930s, 20s and 30s, by the 1930s, uh, there was this concern about women 
well, across the board, I'm talking about white women mm-hmm. too, you know, uh, about femininity, you know, and that they felt like with these deans and women's and also with the various uh, athletic associations, they felt that women should not compete. You know, as male sports became, you know, like, you know, major events, you know, competitions and, you know, even now, you know, these bowl games and these playoffs and all the rest of this, that women were not allowed to do that. They were not allowed to compete. They can only do intramural. They thought that it was somehow unfeminine for women to compete for championships and to compete for uh, uh, trophies and banners and that kind of thing. So they should just play for fun, um, you know. And also, like, with the basketball, and see, I don't have any history of um, of playing sports because I was a group major, I was in the band. So, I don't, you know, so this is all academic to me, actually. You know, and they were talking about with the women who played basketball, they had to change the rules for them. They had to do half court and not full court because they couldn't play the same way that the men, and they had to have girl rules as opposed to the boy rules. Uh, and so that became a big issue too. And I write about that, you know, about this one team at an all black women's college called Bennett College in North Carolina that had this incredible basketball team award winning, I mean, and they wanted to tone them down and they were playing full court and they wanted to change it and make it half court. And, and they were all these, uh, articles about you know them not being ladylike and they were like Amazons and these kinds of things you know stereotype about black women uh, and so they had to respond to that and by the end of the 30s they had phased out the basketball team because of issues of um, image of black women and you know it's a women's college and so they wanted it to be uh, reflective of other you know, elite white women's colleges where, you know, you think of these women as genteel and, you know, feminine in the stereotypical way. And then the girls on the team responded saying, yeah, we might play like a man on the court, but we ought to be women off the court. You know, I mean, they don't go hand in hand. Yeah, I think maybe connect to that point, something I'm interested in. I think this hopefully touches on, say, your broader research project is was sport any different from say the other avenues that black women could enjoy in colleges so say was sport more encompassing or was it more restrictive compared to sorority life or just joining student federations or you know student societies was sport was the sporting experience broadly similar to sorority life or society life for black women well black women had their own sororities yeah they had their own segregated sororities i don't know if you have uh, paid attention, you know, that uh, with Kamala Harris, they make this big issue of the fact that she's an Alpha Kappa Alpha, AKA, which is the oldest black women's sorority. Actually, I'm a member of that sorority myself. Uh, so that's my sorority as well. You know, it's a very distinguished, prestigious, highly accomplished women who are in that. So the AKAs had their own team on these college campuses, intramural teams if they couldn't play on the 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 college campus um so yeah i think sports was a major um block in terms of black women on white college campuses and other things too like you know they couldn't perform in 
in theatrical, you know, they couldn't be in plays and these kinds of things. So that was, you know, there were a lot of things in terms of student activities that they were not a part of. They could not be a part of it. Uh, but it was different on black college campuses. They had a complete really different experience on black college campuses, but they were restricted on black college campuses in terms of deportment and how you presented yourself. You know, like, and I talk about like at Howard, they wanted, you know, women to be portrayed as graceful, you know, and you could do stuff like badminton, you know, and tennis and um, dancing, you know, but dancing in a sense, you know, like ballet, you know, mm. these kinds of things. Um, so was what was perceived as acceptable by the larger society in terms of what larger society viewed as feminine and saw, you know, and not and nothing that would compete with men. Yes. I, so, something, actually, this ties into an interview um, that I did a few weeks ago with Shannon Walsh, where she looks at kind of the intersection between eugenics and education and physical education in America in the 1900s. And she sees that, you know, a lot of these ideas about femininity and deportment and gracefulness and, you know, quote unquote, feminine beauty. Yeah. A lot of those discussions were like very explicitly about the white female body. So it's right. interesting where in your chapter you're saying like Howard University, a historically black university, is taking some of these ideas as well. Was there ever a discussion about, you know, white femininity and black femininity or ideas about white femininity just being kind of implanted into historically black universities? Oh, yeah, I think that they accepted uh, what society in general mm -hmm. defined as feminine. Uh, and also, the woman who was over, uh, Mary Ellen, over the physical education department at Howard was a product of these white schools, you know, so she was educated, you know, uh, at that sergeant uh, program in Boston, which was mm -hmm. one of the biggest ones, prominent ones in physical education during that period. Um, so, no, I think that they were very much causing it that femininity was defined by white people. Uh, and, you know, and so there was, I mean, I'm, even in this book I'm writing now and just reading the minutes of deans of women and their discussions about what, other issues too, like should women smoke on campus? And, and they talk about it's not feminine, you know, that men don't respect women who smoke and it's not a ladylike kind of thing, you know, and certainly they didn't think that that certain kinds of women's sports uh, were positive for women, you know, running up and down and perspiring and, and you know, and these kinds of things. Um, so, and they were just, they all, it was also, uh, it was very heterosexist, you know, because men won't be attracted to women <laughs> like that. I mean, that was one of the things they said to a man doesn't want some woman who can, you know, can dunk as big as much as he can and, you know, these kinds of things that can outplay him. But, uh, it's funny, just in a, in a different life I lead, I was speaking to a um, champion female powerlifter uh, this week about the same uh, idea where she says, you know, a lot of the criticism she faces, men saying you're not attractive, and then her responding, well, I didn't ask you, you know, like this. Right, right, right. I was just interested that we seem to have this tension for the last 100, 150 years about, you know, women playing sport 
irrespective of where they're playing it, is, is immediately attached to, well, you know, no man will want an athletic woman or a woman who can dunk over him. Um, it's just kind of a funny aside. I suppose something, and you've already mentioned, say, the sergeant school, and that's Dudley Allen Sargent, Harvard physical educationist, right. who is kind of one of these leading figures in measuring the body and training the body and right. training instructors. Something that was very interesting in your chapter was kind of this inkling of lineages. So I think you mentioned at one point that Howard University, I think is it 80% of physical educa- black physical educationists in America are trained at Howard University. Is yeah. there a sense that Howard is kind of this hub then, this locus of knowledge for physical education? And then do they spread throughout the US with the kind of Howard model in the same way that people trained with Dudley Allen Sargent would then go all around the US and just implement his system again? Well, yeah, because the person who was over it went to Sargent and so she trained, and I was saying 80% during the time that she was dean, which was forever. Uh, I mean, and so the teachers who came out of that school of thought would have obviously had that philosophy and passed it on to their students throughout the country. Um, so, um, yeah. And so there was this whole emphasis on grace and, you know, you see it uh, manifested in, in various communities about teaching young girls, you know, posture, you know, and, uh, and they had these pageants and uh, various things. And I know some people will say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, but uh, I mean, one doesn't have to cancel out the other, you know? I mean, it's just like these young girls who at, at Bennett was saying, just because we can play ball doesn't mean we don't know how to, you know, walk and talk and these kind of things. There's one life on the court. And then, you know, I'm off the court. And they, you know, sort of rejected uh, this femininity because they used to uh, play up against high school boys. That's how they prepared. Uh, They wanted to play with, you know, people who really challenged them, you know, on the court. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, you know, within the chapter you look at the evolution and kind of stripping away then of different sports. So it seems that oftentimes in the physical education colleges, the further we go along in the 1900s up to a certain point, they're taking away more and more options. As you mentioned, you know, you can do basketball, but then basketball is stripped out and it's more into dancing. It's more into comportment. Is there any reason, you know, or any critical moment in which a lot of these colleges divert away from competitive sport towards comportment and grace and delicateness for want of a better phrase or is this something that just gradually evolves because more and more women are now playing sport or doing physical education so you can't really ignore it to the same extent that you could previously yeah i mean like i said by the voice it was gone i mean and also and i talk about in that chapter about how okay they were done with basketball so track and field became the other one that got attacked you know, because again, you're running, you know, and uh, and Tuskegee Institute, which is a black college in Alabama, in rural Alabama, had this incredible track team. And this one uh, Alice Coachman who went to the Olympics in um, track and field, she won two Olympic titles. Uh, but then there was the issue about 
that as well, you know, I mean, in the black press and well, not only black and the white press too, just the way they describe these women, you know, who were these incredible athletes. Uh, and so they constantly had to deal with that and have to talk about them in ways that you have to uh, be um, clear that they're interested in men. Like, oh, when she gets married, uh, you know, and these kinds of things. Uh, how good is she in the kitchen? Um, and these kinds of things. Like, it has nothing to do with her being an athlete. <laughs> Whatsoever. But suddenly it seems to be the most important thing when it's actually right. so different from right. the, the field. And you show within the chapter, like, very deliberate attempts to pull women away from competitive sports. So I know at one point there's the emergence of beauty pageants uh, right. on campus, yeah. isn't it? And is the hope for that, that, you know, women will just naturally gravitate towards the beauty, the beauty pageants rather than sport, or are they actively being kind of pushed into those avenues? You know, in my um, class, I teach on the history of women's higher education. You know, I talk about, um, you know, what happened was first there was this resistance in this country for women to be educated with men. You know, there was women's education, there was men education. You know, if you come, well, you're from the UK, so you know about separate college. But so when coeducation did take place, and then coeducation is the norm, you know, what happened was that women and men got separated by disciplines. You know, there are certain fields that men major in and then there are certain fields that women major in and then you see the rise in sororities and you know in football and sports you know and so the woman's supposed to be after the football player and the quarterback and to be pinned by them and also you see the rise in beauty pageants in the 20s and so now all of a sudden women are having to be diverted to this whole beauty image thing you know and so you have Miss America and all of these colleges have Miss whatever your college is and beauty pageants. And, uh, and so, you know, women become competitors, you know, um, in terms of physical beauty. Mm. Uh, and then you see the rise in cosmetics and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that takes away too from those kind of women, you know, the sorority girls and the, you know, the girls who are popular versus these uh, athletes. Um, and somehow you couldn't be both. And so this is what these Black women were saying. You can be both. You know, I can be a good athlete and I can also be, you know, somebody's girlfriend or wife if that's what they want to be, you know. Um, but I was just reading uh, this book uh, called Stolen Vases. I don't know if you know that one. It's called why American girls don't play baseball. And it, the whole thing is about how they was uh, put out of that as well. I mean, and this is overall, you know, um, and the, the author looks at just women in general, but she also has a uh, chapter on race because race again becomes an issue. But what she says is that most people develop interest in sports as a kid. And so as a young girl, if you're not allowed to be on a little league and these kinds of things, you're not going to all of a sudden as an adult in mm. college, oh, I want to play. Um, these are the things that you get developed early on. Um, so I'm really happy that, that people are really looking at, you know, the exclusion of women from certain sports and the whole politics and sexism in sports because sports is very important, you know. 
Um, it's very important. And, you know, I was reading something, it was saying women are very interested in sports. They were saying half the people who uh, follow football are women, you know, uh, that um, it's not just a male thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, and then when you look at the racism in sports, I mean, I just thought about this when Hank Aaron died the other day. Um, and he and I are from the same hometown, so I knew a lot about Hank Aaron. But I mean, just looking at how the resistance with him and Jackie Robinson, when they broke these barriers in baseball, just the enormous racism that they experienced, people throwing things at them in the field and calling them names, death threats, because they, he surpassed Babe Ruth, you know? I mean, it's just irrational, hmm. you know? I mean, racism is so irrational in the United States, it's just crazy. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's just the reality. Yeah, I think as someone who's still relatively an outsider to the US, something that was so interesting to me is how sport acts as such a big vessel for racism in the US. So obviously like soccer in England and soccer in Europe has so many issues with racism. But like in the US in so many different sports, there seems to be different variations where it's kind of this cauldron for racist anger or exclusion or division within right. the US. And that's why I think college sport, which you know predominantly your chapter is looking at, is a really um, kind of critical stage to look at that because it's not necessarily as open sometimes as, you know, 100,000 people in a stadium booing a black player, whatever the place case may be. But you see these kind of subtle divisions emerging the whole time about well you can't you just you can't play in this sport so don't bother going over there i think as you show and in this conversation as well there's a gendered element and a race element to this and it's funny when you're talking about the baseball book something that i immediately thought about was the um the irish uh young article throwing like a girl which is kind of looking at the differences between quote-unquote feminine and masculine movement and the, the awkwardness one feels trying to undertake you know a quote-unquote masculine movement i think she's trying to throw a baseball or she's trying to throw a ball and she's just talking about how awkward it is because she hasn't been trained in this from a young age and i'm wondering if you've had any opportunity to look at is college the first time that a lot of these women get to play sport or are engaged in physical education or are they kind of physically active all the way up to college and then continue their interest or for some people is college like the first time they get a chance to do these sort of activities? You know, I'm not sure about that. I, I mean, I guess my assumption was with looking at them in college, this was something an interest that they developed uh, uh, and had the opportunity to play uh, because I don't know if, for example, they had played, you know, maybe in high school or something like that, uh, depending on what the sport was. You know, track is different from being in a team sport. Um, So that's a good question. Actually, I I can't really definitively answer that because I don't know. Uh, That's that's absolutely fine. I mean, you know what? It also probably depends on the person. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know if some people just innately are just good players, you know. Hmm. No, I was just wondering, was there anyone who's like, you know, this is the first time I've gotten to play basketball or gotten to do track or athletics. Um, so I suppose something that you most definitely will have the answer for um, is, so a lot of the chapter focuses on that per- post-World War I period. Uh-huh. 
do you see an immediate change or any definitive changes say within a decade after the second world war or is it kind of business as usual for want of a better phrase because i know near the tail end of the chapter you kind of mentioned what seems to be a kind of opening out of this space for black women um i'm wondering is that a fair evaluation now again it's not great by any manner of means but it seemed to be a little bit more uh, open and expressive yeah i think by the end uh what time period are you talking about like now contemporary oh sorry i was thinking of when you talk about gibson in the um say oh, late 40s right, and early 50s right. yeah well that was still a period of yes. you know femininity you know even though as i mentioned even though these people were uh successful athletes you know there was this asterisk you know they were uh still talked about in terms of oh well, they have sort of a masculine this or you know they reduced them you know like they weren't women in the real sense of the word even though they were technically they still performed and they had a masculine serve or these kinds of things somehow that was only identified with men you know being <laughs> having certain kinds of uh delivery in terms of their serves i mean and also, I, I mentioned, you know, how Serena Williams and Venus Williams, how they were uh, characterized also um, in terms of not, not being viewed as feminine in the classic sense of the term. Um, so it continues. Uh, so, I mean, clearly lots of women are playing sports. I mean, we got the WNBA now, you know, we have women's professional uh, basketball teams and things. Um, but it was really interesting, you know, I would go to see like at USC, University of Southern California here, you know, had just strong basketball team, but people never turned out in the numbers to see women play as they do for men. Mm. You know, it's just very different. You know, even the cheerleaders didn't want to cheer for these women, <laughs> you know, they want to cheer for men, you know. Um, so it's kind of interesting. No, absolutely. And I think uh, this is the time I get to use what's hopefully a fun fact for me. Uh, one of the few kind of interesting quirks of uh, sport in my own university at UT is that I think the second most attended sport is women's volleyball. Um, wow. So football is obviously the, you know, the, the, the king, so to speak, but volleyball uh, is the second most attended. And I think part of that might have to do with the fact that they play indoors and it's often during the summer months and if you've been in Texas in the summer, you'll understand that air-conditioned halls are really a godsend when the heat is so bad outside. But then also kind of success and acceptance begets more interest from the, from the that's crowd. That's great. I mean, that's great. You know, well, I mean, you in sports, so you know what Title IX is, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the reasons why Title IX came into being uh, as sports because all the university's monies are invested in male sports, you know, and women, what they call women's sports, got nothing you know, basically. So now there has to be more equitable spending of, of funds for these teams. Mm. Uh, and not not without time, when you look at the history that uh, yourself or uh, Shannon Walsh was on a few months, a few weeks ago talked about. So I suppose being cognizant of your time, Linda, I suppose the final question would be, what's next in terms of your research project? So I know you said this is kind of one, one small chunk of the bigger project so maybe just a final reminder for people on, on what the bigger project is well i i, I mean it's big i mean <laughs> but i'm not i'm looking at them not only as students but i'm also i have a chapter on looking at 
the history of the black female professoriate, you know, the history of black women as faculty. Uh, and also I have history looking at black women as graduate students, graduate and professional students. That started in the twenties. The first black women to get PhDs were in the twenties. Uh, well, cause you had to grow people, you know, from undergraduate to do that. And, uh, and then as black colleges grew, you know, the need for faculty were there. And so that provided opportunities for black women academics. But everybody wasn't an academic, but overall, you know, they went into professional fields too. You know, medicine, uh, um, you know, being physicians, uh, attorneys, uh, and many other things. So it's been an exciting project. I mean, it's just really has humbled me to look at the enormous accomplishments that these black women uh, achieved against all of these obstacles, uh, you know, um, you know, many not being able to live on campus, not being able to participate in certain things, but they still persisted. And, uh, you know, it's, um, there's this um, documentary uh, that was done back in the seventies on the history of the civil rights movement called Eyes on the Prize. And so this is basically, they have their eyes on the prize. You know, they were, you know, they went to these schools to get their degrees. You know, they were, you know, I remember when I went off to graduate school uh, and I went to a, a historically black college and I remember my black professors saying, you know, you're already prepared to know what you're gonna face when you go to these schools. And he was just like, don't go looking for love. You just go in there to get your degree. You know, and knew that so. Uh, and that's what I did, you know, um, so it was different. Although I didn't have the kinds of obstacles. I mean, it wasn't like I couldn't live on campus and I couldn't do certain things. That was totally over by the time I had gone to college. I mean, I was in grad school in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't face those kinds of obstacles at all. Um, yeah, so I think that's a really good uh, note to end it on. And again, this is a kind of final uh, reminder for anyone who's interested in looking at the chapter, which I would really strongly recommend. It's titled African-American Women, Femininity and Their History in, in Physical Education and Sport in American Higher Education from World War One through the mid-century. For the bio of this um, episode, I'll put a wee link in, Linda, to your biography and then also to say the chapter as well. So I suppose I'll just end by saying thank you again uh, for your time and sharing it with us. It was a really great conversation and I'm sure, sure the listeners will... Uh, echo those sentiments. All right. Thanks again for inviting me. Thank you.